HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Parker Olson, founder of Forage, the company focused on spreading the health benefits of functional mushrooms vis-a-vis snackable foods. Forage makes a naturally sweetened, low-sugar granola and granola bars, packed with superfood ingredients and concentrated mushroom extracts for improved focus, energy, and immunity. Welcome, Parker. Allie, I'm so excited to be here. Obviously, a, a huge fan of the show, just being in the industry. Yeah, I feel like you're one of those people who's like, you know, you listen and you comment and you're like, you know, you you're in like the CPG, like there's some of us who are like really into talking about all of this. And I feel like you're one of them. Yeah, I would say I I enjoy being involved in the community. You know, we're both pretty active on LinkedIn. um, Mm -hmm. So that's a good place to hang out for for other folks here. Um, But yeah, I feel like I feel like I almost can't believe you're real. So it's, it's, I'm definitely <laughs> excited to be here. Cool. That, I don't know that anyone's ever said that to me and I'm like blushing a little bit cause that's a nice thing to say, yeah. but I also, I did a little bit of research and mm-hmm. while LinkedIn, I'm sort of like this reluctant LinkedIn person. Like I'm not a social media person at all. I don't, I don't think of it as a end to anything. Like I I have no interest in today. I reached X, Y, Z followers or like, here's Mm -hmm. what the algorithm did this month. Like I, I, my brain just doesn't work that way. Um, but yet I'm really into LinkedIn and I think it's fun. And I also think it's educational and I also think it's adult, which I appreciate, but you, my friend were like a Twitter uh, I don't know, influencer, content creator, you know, Mac daddy. So, so (laughs) I don't, can you, I didn't know that. And then it seems like you sort of, this is my, like you took Twitter, you took Iron Man, you took mushrooms and you 
made the equation into forage. <laughs> kind of, I guess. Yeah, that's an interesting way yeah. to put it. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for folks that are listening, the, the whole Twitter piece, I created a Twitter account back in like 2016 in college. It was called Shit Your Parents Say. That's and great. I built that like close to a million followers. And then honestly, Ali, it just became really anxiety inducing. And I, mm. I just like sunsetted it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't By know. the way, I think my kids were in college in 2016. Like, oh, I think I, I was a person who you could quote on shit your parents say. <laughs> Maybe you got quoted. We would take submissions and share them pretty frequently. <laughs> I mean, I might have to go back and see before the sunset. I'm sure I said some stuff. But so, and, and were you trying to become like Twitter famous or like were no. you just, what were you, what was the thought there? I wish I was smarter than I am, Allie. Um, I I didn't really, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really do anything with it. I mean, I made some money. I basically was funneling traffic to a blog and then running, you know, ads on this blog, and that's like what it basically financed me through college. Like, I, I didn't pay awesome. for college, but like it was like all my spending money and like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like traveled. Um, not like a ton, but a bit using some of the money. So that that's sort of what it was, uh, but sort of something to do. I I know that sounds sort of silly, but um, not at all. And you know, in a lot of ways, forage was also something to do that I was just like really passionate about and, and engulfed in, and uh, felt really fun, um, kind of while I was working on it. So yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say there was like a strategic plan here, but may, maybe subconsciously. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't. I, I think the thing that I've learned, I think you're my 200 and what is it? 22nd interview. And I mean, there are a couple of, you know, theses that kind of rise to the top, but one of them is that most people who are in this business kind of landed here ass backward. Like we, you know, none of us really were like, you know what I want to be when I grow up? Like I want to start a you know, coffee business. Like it, you, you know, it's, it's like yeah. a, it's again, it's like this hodgepodge of like a passion for something sort of unbridled and, and probably somewhat naive optimism mm-hmm. about the world and consumers and the larger systems at play, you know? And then, I mean, what I think is interesting, though, is that you did know, you figured out something that a lot of people need to know these days, which is how to create content that an audience is into repeatedly, you know? And and it seems like that that's the golden chalice these days, and and you do have a knack for that. So I guess... Yeah. No. Yeah. I guess, I mean, you're right. I, I don't think about myself as someone who's necessarily particularly good at content, but, um, when I think about content and like putting up or like things I, I think are fun to share, um, it's usually these things that I, I personally think are funny or super unique or random, right. which generally lends to being good content. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, like the shit your parents, say, yeah, I mean, I sort of, I would say I got lucky on that. Like my parents say a lot of really funny things. Um, (laughs) so I got lucky and then, yeah, some of like the earlier LinkedIn content came from like just doing absurd things, um, Mm. like living out of the tent and we used content from living, me living out of the tent 
as right. th- those were like all of our like really early like D to C like profitable days were mm-hmm. from these like ridiculous ads of me being like, I live out of my tent. Um, right. So I feel like that it just like defined my digital doppelganger really early on. Ooh. And then that's like who I was. Do you think I need to call this? Uh, Cause I was going to call this episode building on shrooms because <laughs> I thought that was funny, but now I could also do building your digital doppelganger. Sure. I'm, I'm really into that. Right. Recently, I just read Naomi Klein's an author and she just wrote a book called oh, Doppelganger. I know where she okay. gets mis mistaken for mm-hmm. the other Naomi. Yeah. 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 So I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, and, you know, like who I who I am on like LinkedIn or, or like an Instagram or like a Twitter. Right. And maybe like the subconscious bias to like try and fill that that void or fill that role. Yeah. No, I think about that sometimes, too, on LinkedIn, because I. I, I want to appear like collected and sane, honest and vulnerable, but at the same time, you know, generous of spirit and, you know, and like graceful, you know, and it's funny because I, I can let it go a little bit, but I, it's, it's too scary to like, let it go all the way to like the real dark places, Mm, but mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, you know, how, how aligned do you think most people are, I guess most founders, let's get specific, like how aligned do you think that digital doppelganger is with that authentic self? And I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking of a couple examples and there's, there's a couple founders I know of on LinkedIn who are like very much like F it, like I am who I am. And I mm-hmm. feel like they've almost gotten canceled a little bit on LinkedIn because of like, they're almost like a little too like vulgar and they come off like sort of in this negative, like arrogant sense. Yeah. So it's like, I would say especially, and you know, not to be too gendered about it, but maybe some of the broier ones perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. The other thing I'll never understand is like, if you're going to go off of LinkedIn, you don't need to announce to everyone that you're going off of LinkedIn. Like, I just think that someone should do that, like a meme of that. Like, it's very funny. Like I'm like, no, okay. Everyone's going to be like, no, no, please don't go off of, and then you come back on like, you know, 10 days later, I've just seen, I'm like, all right, folks. I don't know. Someone said, someone said I was in some conversation. They're like, everyone likes to like kind of attend their own funeral, you know, like what would people say? Exactly. Let's get to shrooms though, because, um, so, so I went to the bookstore last weekend and there were just, there was like a whole table, like a half table of psychotropics, psychedelics, mushrooms, health benefits, you know, I don't know. My yoga teacher was telling me that like, she teaches this like 78 year old couple and they were microdosing, And she was like, you guys have to tell me that like before we do yoga, because I don't know, like, what's the yoga and what's the mushrooms. And they were like, Oh, it's no big deal. So clearly something has happened in the zeitgeist where Mm -hmm. there is definitely a shift. I think where I, my big question for you from day one has been it's very hard to then take that zeitgeist shift and put it into a granola and the world is going to be like, Oh yes, now I'm going to ingest these, you know, these things on, I mean, it's taken four sigmatic. I mean, at least like 15 years to sort of like get 
people comfortable with drinking a tea or, mm-hmm. you know, a coffee. And, mm-hmm. and then the sort of like the more, like I think of the Anima Monday or whatever, that, however you pronounce that brand, like those are more sort of, they're, they're also talking about like the cycles of the moon and your, mm-hmm. you know. Kind of woo-woo-y. Very woo-woo, sexy brand, more like spa and, yeah. you know, I'm definitely like their target. Cause I'm like, if it can make me sleep great. Mm-hmm. Um, but grocery that, that always seemed a little bit like you might be really ahead of your time. No, I, I kind of agree. I mean, and, and we briefly just discussed before this and I'm sure we'll get into it, but you know, in, 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 in at the place of, of transitioning away from the brand, you know, either like, I'm chatting with some manufacturers of taking over the brand and basically like would liquidate the brand for like to cover like debt and repayments and maybe come away with some small dollar amounts. Right. But I think in a lot of senses, like it's, yeah, I think grocery is really, really challenging. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, definitely a bit naive to think that especially a category like granola would see traction right. um, where like, I think like teas are easier to get around or like, ready to drink beverages. Like I actually, I don't know if you follow remedy. Um, I think they do a great job or like, I know yeah. rebels skews that have mm-hmm. mushrooms in them. They, they seem to be doing pretty well, at least from data that I've seen. Right. Um, so yeah, but that's I, I also, think, that's such a hard business too. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't, I'm not saying I'd want to be in. in that yeah. Business yeah. <laughs> either, but, um, yeah. Um, Wait, so and, back up. So <clears throat> you're going to, you're, so you're transitioning away, meaning, mm-hmm the days of those profitable D to C sales, they didn't necessarily translate into Kroger. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was like 2021. I will say like, you know, snapshot today, retail snapshot, we are, our velocities are good in, in the health natural channels and are growing. Mm-hmm. So like, like, like you see, you see like decent promise there. However, what mm-hmm. I'll also say is, and I hear this question a lot and from like potential acquirers is, hey, I notice you don't really like you don't explicitly use the word mushroom really anywhere mm. on the package. Like, why not? And it's like, well, like, it only took us 18 months to figure that out. But like explicitly putting that word is triggering, especially in, in the type mm-hmm. of category like granola. Right. And so I think it's been, you know, like our our, our most up to date branding, which we went through a rebrand, you know, at the end of last year. I just think it has done really well and has been really positive in terms of it being unique and memorable and playful. And I Mm -hmm. think like the added benefits of the mushrooms is sort of this like secondary point of like, Oh, like this is cool. Oh, okay. Like maybe this is something that's good for me. Whether that's specifically, whether whether that interest is specific about mushrooms or like some sort of functional benefit, like it's really kind of a little bit TBD. Um, Yeah. It's hard to be, it's almost like, I don't know what exactly I'm trying to say, but it's almost, it's hard to be like one foot in and one foot out on something when it's, when it comes to like labeling and we've had that for sure. Like we are hands down. I mean, people who listen to this, like there's nothing in our fresh sauces that isn't like what you would make at home. They are super duper clean label, you know, all of it, but that we've never leaned into that as like our main value proposition because we're not leaning, we're not trying to sort of appeal to that consumer primarily. Like we're really trying to be just an easy 
hack. Um, but the problem is, is that you have just enough people who are buying you because of that. Right. And then, you know, just enough people who aren't buying you because it's more expensive or premium because of that, that if it's not your main thing, it's almost like then why, why be that? I mean, in our new product, for example, we added a little bit of sugar. It makes it taste better. And Mm -hmm. like the, the shelf stable one is just, it has like more of a pop and we were going to use date paste like we use in our fresh ones, but it was coming out muddy and like a little bit kind of like, you know, thicker and right. So, and so we were like, oh no, we've always been sort of like no sugar added. And then I was like, but that is, we're not really getting credit for that in a way. So right. like, I don't want to box myself in too much. Does, is that making sense to you? Totally. I, I think like my first year here in, in the CBG realm, it was like, you mm-hmm. know, it's so like easy to sort of stand on your high horse and be like, well, we develop products with these like pillars mm-hmm. and, and we'll never sacrifice them. And like, you see it, like you see it with a lot of like, just like new brands, people who start talking about their brands, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a point and like, you know, a certain scale, which isn't that large where like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, the difference between a dollar on shelf could be massive in, in the category. The and, difference and, between, yeah, 35% gross margin and a 40% gross margin yeah. is huge. And, yeah. And so like, you know, I, I think then like real life starts to hit you and you start to be realistic and really look at, okay, yeah. How many, how many people are buying the product because there's no sugar in here, you know? And like, right. what does that do to our price elasticity? And, and ha- having some real conversations with yourself and, and you sort of have to take a step back and like, like take your ego out of it for a second and be like, okay, you know, am I making something that we want to build a viable business around and, and, and bring society one step closer to this health goal? Or is mm-hmm. it like completely healthy or nothing? Right. right. Like it's Yeah. And so what, I mean, before we go to the break, what happened that made you decide, okay, maybe I don't want to be doing this for the next yeah. 10, 15 years? Yeah. So that was kind of it. I mean, we, we were running, we, you know, we were like starting to get to the point probably in like July, August, where it was like, okay, like we're kind of running out of money. We have like these launches coming up, like we're growing. And so I was like, okay, like I'm going to go, you know, and raise more money. And I like, you know, sat down for like two or three days, like really built out the model to, to one of like the first pl- points ever that I've ever really looked at our model and been like, I actually believe all of these assumptions. Like I genuinely mm-hmm. believe them. Like, yeah. You know, cause some, you know, and like we have advisors and sometimes they're oh, like, yeah. Hey, this Make is Make it like, a 20 instead of a 10. Yeah. And right. you want to believe yeah. it. And so you're like, sure. Great. But I like really sat down and I, and I, you know, and I remember there, I'm like there and I sort of like sat back in my chair and like looked at it and looked at the numbers and was like, I could be here for another 10, 15 years doing the exact same thing I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. taking on more debt that's probably like personally guaranteed, having to raise money, at, you know, every X amount of time. And if you yeah. don't, then, you, then you're sort of caught with the bag. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that, you know, like, let's, let's take the ego out of the game for a second. Like, yeah is that what I want my life to look like in five years from now, 10 years from now? Yeah. No, I think a lot of founders are having that conversation with themselves. Let's take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to like get into it because this is good. Okay. We'll be right back.
I'm back with Parker Olson, founder of Forage. Um, okay, so I think a lot of people, first of all, I appreciate the honesty um, because I think, you know, I think it's not just about um, ego, right? I think a lot of founders feel like they'll be letting down friends and family. They'll be letting down their team. They'll be, um, you know, there's an identity, maybe that is ego, but I I do think that there's like, what am I going to do the day after tomorrow if I'm not doing this? And, you know, the reality is, is that it's just never been harder. And, You can see folks out there and they're still talking about gaining distribution, which is great. You know, there are people like me that are innovating, fun, cool. There are people raising money. Um, But for the most part, between the market shifts and the retailers and, you know, just everything right now is harder and it, 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 is not the kind of business because of the way that it's structured that can kind of withstand that weight. It can handle supply chain stuff when sales are good and it can handle, you know, when, um, the pricing is too high when people are out and about, you know, during COVID it could handle this, but it, it can't handle all of those things happening at the same time. And that's what's happening now. And I think that will end but to your point you know yeah you're you would be building this for 15 years and time is money and you would have to be raising money at every one of those you know junctions and diluting yourself which was the old playbook a lot of founders that had quote unquote successful exits before like 2016 they ended they had 4% of their company right they look like mockers, but they, you know, they, they, they were fully, fully diluted by the time they actually had a sale. No one talks about that. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah. So you were sitting there, you're looking at the model and did you, were you just like, uh, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at the model and, and this was a, this kind of went back and forth as well with, with like an advisor, you know, a primary advisor and, and they were like, yeah, but like, you know, this assumption and I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm like, you, you don't like, that's not realistic. Like, let's be realistic. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't believe that. And it was this like back and forth of like reality. It it was so interesting. And like, I think to them, it was like, they believed in, and like, you know, that they lived in a bigger CPG world and that like, that was the old rules of the game, but like, and the reality is something could happen. One of those things could be true mm-hmm. and then you're off to the races. But I think totally. we're all sort of like, but you know, yeah. is it likely to be true right now? You know, right. and that's, that's that was part thing. of it. Yeah. I was, so, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, it's like, okay, could a miracle situation happen? Sure. But like all of the data up until this point says like, okay, we're sort of on like a standard growth trajectory and like, mm-hmm. we're already niche. Like, it's not like we're on like this, like skyrocketing interest, right. like interesting growth channel that we found that we really well understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was it for me. And like, you know, you just like look and, you know, we, we sort of a little bit to my dismay, I still did like quite a bit of investor outreach and like continued to hear the same thing as well. It was like, 
hit like, like this margin and this growth story that like, don't make sense. Mm. And so it, it was also like, it was also like validating. And I think for me, like I came to the conclusion before I like heard others really mm-hmm. doubt it. So I, I was okay with it, you know, and as I started to tell friends, like, Hey, I think like this is lapsing. People were like, Oh my God, like, how are you? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, it's like, I'm sort of relieved. Yeah. A lot of people are. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of things that are dying on the vine. Right. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about, cause you know, I, I struggle with this fresh product. It is a great wow. product. People love it. There's no home in the store for it. It is a really amazing natural channel product. People want me to be like, but, you know, and maybe, of course, maybe, right? And maybe when the grocery stores are leaning back into the perimeter and leaning back into refrigeration and figure out what they want to do with fresh sauce and create a category around it, and maybe even in the stores that it's in, they'll start putting it in the exact same place so consumers can find it. And maybe we'll be able to ship it to people without having to put it on ice overnight. And maybe that will be not as expensive. But and 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 all of those things could happen. Yeah. But the, you can't, as a founder, make the world change around you. You have to find a product that works in the world as it is. Right. And you can be a little innovative, which is hopefully what we've kind of like hit with our new shelf stable product. Um, But it's funny because, you know, I'm not discontinuing the fresh product just yet, but you would think I was like killing a kitten, you know, even talking about it. It's like, they're so used to me, I think being so, I'm kind of relieved that I can finally say it out loud in a way okay, it's a really good natural channel product. It's probably not going to scale. And, and there are those things in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a lot of great products out there and a lot of founders with great missions. And, that, and, that, and it's not just a great product. It's a great product that people love and mm-hmm. that people buy often and weekly and repeat. It's got all the goods. It's just not scalable it's in not the current conditions. And if you can't scale, it's going to be very hard to have a strategic exit and it's going to be very hard to get profitable. And those are just the two things that you need. Right. And it still requires a lot of resources, like time, energy. To get there. Right. Yeah. I I think two other things as well, like, especially in food, there's like, to your point earlier, like it's really hard to will something into existence as a founder, where I think like in other startup environments and other categories, like there's, there's more ability to maybe do that where like just the, the rules to the game here are so entrenched mm. where like there's mm-hmm. just key gatekeepers and if they make one decision, it could be great. If they make another, it could be really bad or like vice versa. And then it's 18 months until they, yeah. they get another swing it back. Yeah. And it's time. Yeah. And so then it's like you have, to, you, have to, you have to withstand the time. I also think, you know, there's so many players and there's, there's so much, you know, interest in voices and nobody really cares as much as you do or understands the business as much as you do. And people are going to be like, Oh, you should go here. Right. And, and that can be so easy to like get caught up in. You're like, Oh my God, I know we're going to do so great in this retailer. We have to get in this retailer. Cause everybody tells me these brokers that sell into this retailer all the time. Mm-hmm. Tell me that this is going to be great. Somebody mm-hmm. who I trust in the industry says, this is, this is a great, great move. 
and like the reality is is like people just don't get it and or just like they they aren't aligned your the incentives are not aligned with your yeah own. Um, no 100% it's funny because i feel like a lot of this you know i remember when I had the cooking school, you know, everyone had so much advice. Like I was, you know, just thinking back on like, if I had just written down everything everyone told me I should do, you know, and mm-hmm. the, I, I think it's, it's funny. Someone was talking about Air One the other day, like, oh my gosh, like you should definitely be in Air One, like the friend. And I was like, first of all, like we've pitched Air One, like four or five times. They actually ask us for submissions and like we send them and then they're like, sorry, this doesn't yeah. meet our whatever. And every time it's like a different thing. And it just, it's like someone being like, no, but say something nice. And you know, then you don't want to like piss off a retailer, you know? So we're like, thank you so much. Like, thank you for the feedback. Thank you. But then, you know, the reality is also is that like, it's essentially a marketing channel, which yeah. is fine, but knowing that there it's it's a it's a pretty much a pay-to-play situation. Yeah, it's really and, expensive. And that's okay because they know who they are, just like Walmart knows who they are, just like Costco knows who they are. Like I love it when someone or a retailer or an institution just knows who they are. They have like alignment with themselves and they're just relentless about that. Like, great, good for you. It's working, mm-hmm. you know? Um but, you know, I'm always like, I don't want to be like, yeah, we've tried and they won't take us. So I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> like, yeah, that'd be You're great. Right. I, yeah. Or like, you know, you should definitely be at Wegmans. I'm like, we are at Wegmans. We're just like under, we're on like the bottom shelf, like where the refrigerator, yeah. like where the door of the refrigerator meets the bottom. So there's like yeah, a metal, like a metal ledge. So you can't yeah. see our stuff at all. And you know, I'm like, uh, you know, I think but, yeah, the, the, the air, well, the air one, the air one channel is always so interesting. I think we've all been there. And then you, you also see like, to me, I almost see it as sort of a red flag. If I see somebody talking very openly about how like well they're doing at air one, yeah. because it's like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like if you're doing well there, that means like, I don't think you can do well anywhere else. Like right. in, in a normal <laughs> channel, like that's actually, concerning. you're not going to do well at Safeway. Right. It's actually concerning. It, yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny. It's funny because I, I, I mean, I think at this point it's a little bit of a red flag when anyone says they're doing really well anywhere, like, (laughs) you know, I, and I mean, and then of course I find myself being like, I want to control my destiny to some extent. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm making sure that this new product is on Amazon because it can be because it's shelf stable and blah, blah, blah. And not to say that the margin there is going to be so jolly either, but at least I can have some semblance of control over my marketing efforts into my sales. And what, what does that look like? Because Mm -hmm. right now we don't have a ton of insight into that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So fun. This is a peppy, (laughs) peppy convo for the end of the year, Um, but I do think it's important. And I mean, I guess on a, on a human note, like, what are the, what do you wish someone had said to you when you decided to sort of wind things down and not let well, it die on the vine? Maybe, maybe before we, we get there, I also, I wanted to mention something. I don't, most people don't know this, um, but I, on the side, I, I operate a couple of consumer brands that are 
owned by private equity funds that acquire distressed assets. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, so it's, it's been interesting. I've been doing this about nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the only reason I mention it is because like, this is like their playbook. And I think it's an interesting playbook for people to understand. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're a debt distressed uh, private equity fund. So what that means is they basically acquire brands that you know, pretty much have run out of money and have a mm-hmm. bunch of debt and they can't service like their interest. And so what happens is like when you default on your debt, like you go bankrupt and the bank takes your company. Right. And these are bankers who understand that, you know, when a bank sees that one of their uh, somebody who they've lent money to has no more money or isn't able to service interest, they are internally writing down that debt on the balance sheet. So, so maybe mm-hmm. let's say as an example, Ali, like I'm the bank and you're the brand and we agreed that we would loan you a million dollars. Right. And every quarter you have to send us your financials because that's part of the obligation. And we can mm-hmm. see your financials at the end of every single quarter and it's going down. And internally on our balance sheet, we say, okay, there's probably no chance we're getting this million back. Um, you know, we're going to write this down to $200,000 mm-hmm. on our balance sheet. But the debt still shows a million. So these private equity funds come in and they basically know that the bank has done this and they go to the brand and they say, hey, you know, we will buy your, your company for zero dollars, zero, mm-hmm. but 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 we'll assume the debt. Right. Um, because a lot of the a lot of times and especially in, in venture um, situations, when a company raises a ton of venture money, right, it's like, oh, my God, a company raises five, 10, 20 million dollars, whatever. Mm-hmm. The venture fund, the venture folks will say, "Hey, you really should take out a line of credit to mm-hmm. to basically finance and service your operations, your capex, or your inventory." Right. And so the founders like, "Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Like, you you can give me the big bank connects. Like, we have all this money. It's not going to be a problem. We're going to the moon." Mm-hmm. And so then the founder goes, and and they you know they 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 negotiate some sort of debt solution with a bank and oftentimes 14% interest rate. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Strong interest (laughs) rates. But also on top of that, like oftentimes the the debt or at least a portion of it has to be personally guaranteed, especially if it's like the first loan between a bank. Right. Um, And then the, the VC is the guarantor or is it the founder? The founders. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So like one of, one of the brands that I manage this, this is a real, this is a real time scenario. Mm -hmm. I think they raised maybe like 10 million in venture. And then they took on a million line of credit, and yeah, I mean they were run, they were burning three over three hundred thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. in twenty twenty two, and it got close to the end, and like the million was on the founder's head, and so yeah, the private equity fund came in and they acquired the brand. It, you know, the brand was doing maybe like three million mm-hmm. um, for. I think they swooped them basically just acquiring the debt, and then they renegotiated the debt with the with the bank. I think for like. $200,000. So they acquired this $3 million asset for $200,000 and they just assumed the loan of right. 200,000. Wow. And then they fire everyone. Uh-huh. And then they they own the asset and like they just try and stabilize it to like figure out if they can like liquidate inventory or just like right. keep certain ch- sales channels alive. Um so anyways, it's really interesting. It's like really quite sad because you know these people who who built this brand have been working on it for years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, that seems to be the fundamental disconnect. I am not on the anti-VC train. I, I, I obviously like your dental hygienists, they're good ones and they're bad ones and they're friendly ones and they're unfriendly ones and they're smart ones and they're not that smart ones. And, but I think that, um, so I, I don't want to sound like, you know, 
there's a lot of sort of founder kind of fetching about like VCs are so mean and like that just doesn't feel right. I will say that if, to your point earlier, there is often just a misalignment of mm-hmm. the goal, right? A, a venture fund needs to make a return because they need to pay their LPs, right? And they need to stay in business so they can run the next fund. They're not in the business of giving you money to, to save a sinking ship. Um, you know, and there are, I mean, there are endless stories. I mean, Kind Bar comes to mind, but they're Lego, right? Where businesses weren't particularly doing well and they looked like they might die on the vine and then they pivoted or they figure something out and um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I don't think founders are oftentimes equipped to, we don't understand a lot of this stuff if we're not finance people mm-hmm. and the money, when it comes, it almost, we don't have the legal team to read through every single sentence. And we're sort of in this like powerless position where we just want a deal. Right. So we sort of accept terms that we don't entirely get, you know, understand totally. And I've just seen it happen so many times and I don't know how to, I I don't know how to fix that or how to help people with it because candidly, like my brain I feel this like rage scream feeling when I'm reading a contract or looking at an Excel. Like I just want to build something great and I want to like help consumers and I want to build a great team and Mm -hmm. I want to create, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're almost like misaligned in a way to run these businesses unless they're just kind of gangbusters, you know, unless we don't have to look at the tough stuff which is not a great endorsement of myself or my fellow founders, but I feel like oftentimes it's like we're playing business, but there's a business going on behind the business that we don't even really totally know that we're in. Yeah. I love that. That's a good line. It's like business cosplay. And yeah, and there's a lot of like, because there's so much going on, I think it's really easy to like, you look at a contract and you like talk to somebody else, maybe who's done had a similar contractor with the same person. They're like, Oh yeah, it's all good. And you're like, okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I look back at something I signed five years ago that I did get out of this year. That was, um, so insane. And, and the fact that like any legal professional allowed me to sign that or that anyone was like, Oh yeah, they're great. You should definitely go with them. Like it's crazy. It's actually crazy to me. And it goes back to, you know, I remember I've said this before too, like when I was running a brick and mortar, money in, money out, you didn't spend more than what came in. If we needed something new for the kitchen, we waited until after wedding season because we had cash. It was cash flow positive starting year two. It was, you know, you know, we spent around 250 a month. We made around somewhere between 350 and 500 a month. And inevitably the toilet broke. So get rid of some of that. And you know, we had to fire something or someone quit or whatever, but there, it was, it was a business. It, it mm-hmm. operated. I, I managed it. It, you know, 
it made sense. This, the, the, I don't know if it's just because there's so many bites of the apple or there are just so many, it's, it's so fundamentally, um, you know, you're investing in product so far before you're getting paid for that product. Like, I don't know if it's the sales cycle, if it's just how many people are involved in it, if it's just the, because the margins in, in hospitality aren't much better, but yet it was a simpler business and it worked quite easily. And the cash to cash cycle is much quicker. Yeah. And I think maybe that's just like something that, you know, I wonder too, like, you know, if you think about going like from literally $0 in revenue, right. Upwards, like the first stages, like maybe you're selling online or like you're selling to like a local retailer, like the cash Mm -hmm. to cash cycle is pretty quick. Like, Mm -hmm. but like you're on these such small numbers, but you're like, Oh, this is fun. And like people buy this, like, right. right. And then then you like, you know, then you get to like these certain stage gates where it's okay. Well, Oh, okay. We sell in all of our local co-ops and hand deliver, but like where you want to sell in our regional whole foods, but they're like, Mm -hmm. you need to go on this distributor. And you're like, well, of course, why wouldn't we? Well, then it's like, Oh, well, you know, oh, okay, we're not going to get paid for 30 days. That's totally fine. Like, right. And, and, I feel and then like we're not even going to get paid what we think no. we're going to get paid. No. Well, it's interesting. Today I was having a conversation with a retailer and they were saying the SRP on the new product is a little high. And I'm like, we don't have to go through the distributor. If you want it direct, fantastic. We can give yeah. you that. We can you just take that whole chunk back. But we're not the reason why the price is high on shelf. And they're like, well, no, you're too small of a brand to go directly. So I'm like, well, (laughs) therein lies the problem of emerging brands making it into larger conventional retailers. We can't, we can't eat it because we'll die and they can't figure out a system that, that works for them to get us onto their shelves. They are dying for innovation they want the innovation. A lot of these bigger retailers, they are looking for the cool kid brands. They're looking for Gen Z brands. They're looking for people to come in the store, but they don't know how to work with them because they're just not set up that way. And I think that's part of it. That's why I like, I don't know. I've been feeling very, I don't know if it, I don't know. Like, like my heart is like negative? a little, not negative, almost just like, I mean, sad more than negative. Like, it's not like a, ah, it's more just like, Mm -hmm. I have friends that are making beautiful food, really great products that people love. Again, it's not, it's not people with an idea. It's people with a real business. But again, it goes to that scalability, you know? And, you know, I just watch, I watch the pain a little bit and it's, I want to say like, don't do it, you know? But- yeah. I, I think about, you know, just being in the granola category, looking at somebody like a purely Elizabeth, you know, like hear her story and Elizabeth and like, I have so much respect for that woman because yeah. I mean, she was like at a farmer's market for like a decade, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think like you look at examples like that and, it's not like that complex to figure out that type of model. It's like, okay. I'm literally not selling out of this region for 10 years, but like the idea, like trying to actually execute on that is impossible. It's also not, I mean, 
you know, I think a lot of people I know could, could, you know, whittle their businesses down to only the profitable channels, only the profitable regions, have a team of two, have a really nice little, you know, mm-hmm. maybe small business, yeah. but for the amount of pain, right. Mm-hmm. And for the amount of nonsense, it's just that risk, you know, of the bigger thing, just the reward I think is more, it's just more appealing. Like yeah. there are a lot of amazing small food businesses across America that are selling tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year profitably into grocery stores all across the country. And no one's ever heard their name and no one's like, oh, the founder and that person isn't on panels and doing podcasts and this type of shit. Like totally. they're just, they're just running their business and they're hoping that, you know, someone will inherit it, you know, yeah. in the next generation. And, you know, they kind of, I think, kind of giggle a little bit when they see people like me, like, you know, Has doing my stick, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, the, those guys are, they're making bank. Um, so it is possible, but I don't know that it's, it feels like what a lot of us want to build. Yeah. I also think, you know, a lot of those players that do that really well, like are often manufacturing themselves. Yes. And like, they're, they're not like a brand. hundred percent. That's actually, I would say, I would say. They're really manufacturers. Totally. That's exactly right. And I, that's actually a really good point. And it's fun when they try to do something brandy, you know, like where they're like, you know, we had an influencer post about this or, you know, whatever. Um, so this took an interesting turn, but I do want to hear a little bit about marketing because when I asked you, you know, stuff that's on your mind, um, marketing came up and, you know, I'm curious about where you, where you like to spend, where you don't like to spend, where you think people should be spending perhaps. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm out, out of the spending realm, kind of, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, now you get to be an honest voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true, man. Yeah. If I just had dollars to spend, like, I mean, I, I firmly believe it's like building the profitable channels, like in the profitable regions, right. That you look at. And to that point, I I think what's, what can be challenging about thinking about like where to spend, right. Or like where to even where to grow and where to spend, Mm -hmm. right. Should ultimately be where you're maybe trying to grow. Ideally. Yeah. Is like, because people raise money, it, there's like this expectation to be growing at this rate and people are like, look at our forecast model and how much we're going to grow. And it's like, well, the Mm -hmm. only chance for us to grow that way would be able to like expand in these ways Mm-hmm. which then become like, okay, well, if we're going to be expanding in these ways, we have to be doing X type of marketing because maybe it's the only one that can like scale. Right. Which I think becomes challenging. Yeah. No, it's funny. I had a conversation with someone on LinkedIn yesterday and um, Adam, I know you listen, so this is a shout out to you, but you know, we were talking about, um, you know, I've leaned hard into content, like super hard, way harder than my, the size of my business, right? Like we have a YouTube channel, we have, you know, content on TikTok, we have Pinterest, we are everywhere. And, you know, we, we've never been able to say, I mean, you can, you can make a stretch. Like if someone saves the recipe or someone like visits the store locator, 
you could argue that's intent to buy Mm -hmm. and people hang their hat on intent to buy. Um, I just am not sure that you can. And so the only thing for us right now that is like you, because we're a fresh product, we can see like the ad, we can see the spend is Instacart. And I have to say it really works. It's like shopper marketing and e-commerce had a baby mm-hmm. and they, it's, it's magical for brands. I mean, yeah. from my perspective, I was, uh, well, uh, I, I actually wasn't going to explicitly mention that, but one of the brands that we operate, the only like one of our, our highest pro our, our most profitable marketing channel is on Instacart. Yeah. Because, you know, it's funny. And I made the comparison, Adam, to demos and how there's a little bit of like a, is there an intent? I think so. I, I see people put it in their basket when they leave my table. What percentage of those people just puts it in the, you know, they feel bad for me or whatever it is. So they don't necessarily buy it. Then the funnel is like, okay, let's say they do buy it. Do they like it? I, my guess is most of those people do. Then do those people then remember to buy it the next time in the store? My guess is there's a pretty significant drop off there. So, you know, there's a little bit of like a hopefulness to, to demos. Similarly, there's a little bit of hopefulness to making content and putting it on any one of these channels and people saving the recipe or people commenting or following your brand or sharing it with a friend, that that's actually going to go through that whole funnel, not to just one sale, but to a repeated sale week after week. And he said, no, demos aren't like this at all because, mm-hmm. because you're not targeting a, a sort of determined, already sort of pre-inclined shopper. Mm-hmm. Like a random passerby. Right. But a shopper in the grocery store is pretty much as close to a shopper ready to buy as any consumer there is. And that's why Instacart is so great because they're there to buy. And then they see you and it's just very easy for them to add you to the cart. I don't know that the ROAS is what everyone thinks the ROAS is. It's probably like some people are like, it's like eight, 11. I'm like, "Eh, it's like three, but it's still, you know, when you take out everything, it's still it's, really it's probably like eight or eleven when they're on like super small budgets because when, when when we whenever we've run really small campaigns it's like some of them can get that high because they're just so swayed. But by- I don't know that they're accounting for like are you paying for every single thing in there? You're the mm-hmm. bidding and the you know I don't know like I just want everything fully loaded in. You know what's your take on these on these like rebate um, softwares, right? Like, like there's a couple out there that like Venmo the customer back after. They yeah. Started. I mean, I, Tiffin's been on here. I love aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this idea, the concept of connecting, you know, the discovery that happens digitally, which we all know discovery happens digitally mm-hmm. and that connection to like, but am I, what's happening when I'm in the store and how is my brain connecting yeah, that was cool. I saw that on social or I saw something in the like air about this thing. How do you get them when they're actually at the point of sale? And they're figuring that out. Everyone's trying to figure that out. Brands have been trying to figure that out for a while. I think COVID sped that up. Um, and I think it's really cool. I mean, the cool, the, when you get like a win, 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 you know, with, with aisle, for instance, 
we really like it because we can ask questions, you know? Yeah, so data. we're collecting data and we're like, what did you do with it? How often did you buy it? Like we can show that once someone buys it twice, they're more inclined to buy it five times in a month or whatever the Hopefully data enough. is. Like, so that's good. You know, it can't just be, it's like social nature. It can't just be a, a it can't just be a coupon. Mm-hmm. because the coupon is going to be too expensive. But if you can get, you know, we got 12,000 reviews out of social nature, you know, we get right. a whole email flow of, you know, 4,000 sprouts shoppers. Like we can, we can use it, but you got to know how to use them. There's no silver bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also when I think about marketing and kind of towards the end when we were spending, it was like what marketing can get my product in the mouth Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's probably different ways to do that. There's an, there's an unlimited amount of ways to spend on marketing. Right. But it's like, how, how many are actually at getting to the finish line? Right. Versus like, Oh, yeah. we paid $10,000 to this influencer who talked about us or right. we pay $10,000 to get 2000 mouths tasting a product. I don't yeah. know. No, it's, I mean, all good questions. Okay. No one really seemed to care when I did the lightning round or I didn't do the lightning round. I've gotten like zero DMs or comments about it either way. So I'm going to do it because I think they're fun and I think you would be a good person to do this with. So we're going to finish up. I'm going to throw out a thing. You're just going to tell me stream of consciousness, what comes to mind when I say it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. 2023. Ooh. Market challenges. CPG. Innovative, hopeful, but kind of sad. <laughs> Shrooms. Lovely. <laughs> Cash. King. Brand. Queen. Ooh. I like that. Consumer. KPI. Content. Vital. 2024. Hopeful. Hopeful and rebound. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right, Parker. Well, Merry Christmas. I see your tree behind you. Happy New Year. Um, thank you again for coming on the show. I think this was like the perfect time. So I'm happy that we got to do this together. Same. Um, appreciate you. And you are just so positive. You are always very kind online. So I appreciate that. Now we're friends. Hopefully I'll see you around the city and have a lovely holiday as well. Totally. Absolutely. And Liam, as always, thank you so much for engineering. Couldn't do this clearly. I mean, everyone who knows me knows I really couldn't do this without you or Armin or any of the folks at Heritage Radio Network. So thank you. And to all the listeners, relax, enjoy, take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to hit the ground running in 2024. I'll be back in January with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.